We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. Sections 94 through 97. It's interesting because we're, we're recording this a little bit late, and it kind of is an advantage in that I've already had the Sunday school lesson about this um, with my wife. And she, she teaches youth Sunday school, and she was like, I was asking her, so what are you going to talk about? What are you going to teach about? Because there's kind of a variety of things you could take, directions you could take this. And she's like, well, it's about temples. And I was like, okay. And a lot of it is, but there's also stuff in here that isn't directly about temples that I thought was also valuable. I thought it was really cool that there's a, a few little other topics in here scattered in, but it, it's all, I mean, it's all very applicable to coming back to that same topic of temples. In section 94, verse 2, it says, and behold, it must be done according to the pattern which I have given unto you. And there was a few sections ago that he mentioned having a pattern. And I can't remember, I couldn't remember what the scripture was, uh, but it was a, kind of like about a pattern of righteousness or something like that. And this is more talking about the method and the, and the following almost like a blueprint, because he gives them very specific details about how to build the temple and what, what to build, where to build it and how big and all of that. And, and it's very rare that the Lord gets that detailed when he's telling us what to do. Usually it's like, hey. I need you to go and build a temple. And it needs to be a place that we can do this and this and that. And then he kind of leaves it up to us, you know, what it's going to be like and leaves up to a lot of decisions uh, to our agency. They're more general. But in this case, I think he wants to emphasize the importance of the building. He wants to emphasize the, the functions of the building. And so he's being very specific, sized and, and what where things are supposed to be and who's supposed to live near it and stuff like that. Uh, that we just don't get that often. Yeah, I, I think also that the saints haven't received the temple covenants. And we don't know really how those covenants in ordinances, there you go, ordinances are done and can only be taught in the temple. And I think it's also symbolic to me that there are certain things where the Lord tells us, whether you go left or right, it doesn't matter, just go go on your mission, will you? Right. You know? But when it comes to the temple, to his house, to a place where his presence will be in, then he sets the parameters, you know. And I think that's symbolic of our covenants because the terms and conditions of these promises and covenants we make are set by the Lord. They're not set by us. Right. And, and that's where I think the Lord tries to teach us exactness, which I, I like. I think the... The temple, very much like Moses, like when it's very much 
this chapter is really when when he was speaking to Moses, you know, you, you should build this tabernacle. And right. to them, the tabernacle was like a traveling temple. And we know that a lot of the commandments that the Lord or the law of Moses were very temporal, outward facing commandments. But then in the Book of Mormon tells us that they but they had a deeper meaning that that these outward facing rigidly of commandments were mostly due because of the stiff neckness of the people and trying to trying to get them to let go of the cultural norms around them that they kept clinging on to, you know. And so for us with the new saints, I think it's a very similar process where the Lord is also trying to tell them, hey, you're going to be a peculiar people. You need to do things this way. And here are some very specific ways that I want you to kind of learn that lesson, you know, which is then you take that and bring it to our day. It's also applicable of our lives, you know. There are certain things where the Lord is tells us, use your best judgment. And then there's other things where he says, you are best. If if you want to be in his presence, you you better be exact. A lot of it is, is it's nothing new. Uh, like you were saying, they, he gave very exact specifications for the construction of the tabernacle, too. And then you look at the way he approached the Kirtland Temple, the way the Nauvoo Temple was approached, the way that they dedicated so much time and energy into the symbolism on Salt Lake Temple. Uh, there's there's reasons why this is so specific. And it's because he doesn't want, I don't think, while they're not overly plain, temples are not overly, you know, just like a square box. They have some ornate features to them. But it's like, I don't want ornate stuff just to be ornate. I want if you're going to put details, it needs to have meaning. And if you're if it's not going to have meaning, I'd rather not have stuff. So you kind of see that, you know, the paintings that are hung in the temple uh, are oftentimes symbolic of creation, symbolic of um, our connection to our Heavenly Father. Just I don't know, a lot of the the symbolism on the outside of the temples, when you see, you know, in Nauvoo, you see the sun. You see the stars in the windows, things like that, that symbolize the, the celestial glories and things like that. I don't know. I just think that in many ways, it's like, I want this. I want everything to be purposeful. I don't want anything to just be frivolous, gaudy, ornate nonsense. You know, <laughs> like the temple should mean something and everything you do in it should mean something. We're not doing things just to do them. And I think that him, him, Putting so much detail into that is is really important. The other aspect to this is section 94 actually comes after section 95 chrono in chronological order. Section 95 was given to us in June 1st of 1833, and um, I think it was in January of that year, December of the previous year, in January of that year, that the Lord started bringing up building a temple, and they kind of didn't really act on that right away. Uh, they kind of started thinking about, okay, well, how are we going to do this? They started thinking about how we're going to get the funds. They formed a committee in like on, in May of 1833 to start looking for where the funds would come from. And then in June, they get this revelation. And the first thing in it, uh, in section 95, early, thus saith the Lord unto whom I love, and whom I love I also chasten that their sins may be forgiven. For with the chastisement, I prepare a way for their deliverance in all things out of temperance. And I have loved you. Wherefore, ye must needs be chastened and stand rebuked before my face. For ye have sinned against me a very grievous sin, in that ye have not considered the great commandment in all things that I have given unto you concerning the building of mine house. He's basically saying, guys, 
been six months since I brought this up. What's happening? You know, it's time to get cracking on this temple. It's time to get building this thing. That's great that you are taking things very carefully and you're being considerate about budget and all that, but I asked you to build a temple and it's time to do that. And then, then you look back at section 94 where he reiterates it's time to build a temple. This is a commandment. Here's the ways you should do it. And he's he's chastising them in the sense that he's it's he's being corrective. He's trying to tell them you're taking too long. You haven't taken this seriously. Some of you um, have not been acting the way that I would want my representatives to act. He says in verse five, I say unto you, there are many who have been ordained among you whom I have called, but few of them are chosen. Basically saying, you guys need to act differently. You need to start being more proactive on this temple thing. And we know, because we know what history ended up being like, they didn't have access to the Kirtland Temple for very long. Relatively speaking, after it was built, they went through the struggles of building it. They didn't really have access to it for that long before they had to leave. And so I imagine that he's, he's knowing that they're going to face tremendous opposition, especially people don't like when you start establishing a permanent building, you know, uh, when they already don't like you and then you're establishing a permanent building like that that's symbolic of your of your religion. People will start to push back even more. And I think he knew that. And I think he was trying to say, look, for this work to start happening, we need to get this started. We need to get this built. And you need to take my commandment seriously. Um, I just find it really interesting that, you know, he was basically trying to set them straight, basically telling them we need to act differently than that. We can't be having all these contentions among the school of the prophets and stuff like that. We need to we need to start moving forward. I didn't really I don't really understand much of Section 96. Um, except that they're adding John Johnson to the United Firm. I did find it interesting that it says in verse six, there's wisdom and expedient in me that my servant John Johnson, whose offering I have accepted and whose prayers I have heard, unto whom I give a promise of eternal life, inasmuch as he keepeth my commandments from henceforth. For he's a descendant of Joseph and a partaker of the blessings of the promise made unto his fathers. That's kind of interesting that he's basically saying in the Revelation. I mean, I guess we kind of all have that promise. You all have the promise of eternal life as long as you obey the commandments. But what he he makes a point to to call that out, and then also say he's the descendant of Joseph. I wonder how many people would have known such, such a thing at that time. You know, we we've done a lot of genealogy. We have patriarchal blessings now, where we can say they can tell us what lineage we are. But I wonder what that was like back then to be told, you know, you're the lineage of Joseph, a descendant of Joseph. In the lesson, it tells us, you know, that. Where was it at? Uh, towards the end, you know, section 97, there's a lot of focus on the theme of Zion is the pure in heart. And it says the prophet Joseph Smith taught we ought to have built, we, we ought to have the building of Zion as our greatest object. To the saints in the 1830s, Zion was a place, the literal city of God. But in Revelation recording section 97, the Lord expanded that view that Zion describes a people, the pure in heart. What does it mean to be pure in heart? How does the temple help accomplish that? So for me, one of the things when I hear Zion, I hear in my mind, I think about unity. I think about uh, charity, looking out for each other. I imagine a place where there's no contention where you're not trying to excel at the cost of someone else. Right. 
and it's kind of a way that I think the Lord is trying to give us a pattern again of the type of social, political, regional interactions we should have with each other and how we should treat each other. Now we know we're going to get into the next, in the next few chapters after, we'll hear more about how do we deal with our enemies, how do we deal with being wronged, you know. But initially the Lord tells us the goal is to be united, is to not have these contentions, not have these disputes. And you do that by, I think it's a very personal thing that you personally have to be right with the Lord. And then you can start having interactions with other people. I like in verse, what is it, verse 14 or mm-hmm. 13, 13 and 14, where it says for a place of Thanksgiving. So he's telling us, you know, Thanksgiving for the saints, for a place of instruction to all those who are called to the work of the ministry, that they may be perfected in the understanding of their ministry in theory, in principle, and in doctrine, and all things pertaining to the kingdom of God on earth. The keys of the kingdom have been conferred upon us. So I've never looked at it this way, and maybe it's my own my own theory. <laughs> Get it? Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but we should be constantly looking to understand things. And the pattern that the Lord gives us here is kind of like it's okay to dive into theory, to look at the principles, to look at the doctrine pertaining to the kingdom of God on earth. That's, I think that's also key, the kingdom of God on earth. Not So it has to be pertaining to what's happening now, relevant to us now. I'm just fascinated by how open the Lord is to the fact that you should meet together, you should discuss things, and it's okay to throw out some ideas. What about this? What about this aspect? And together, as everyone is living in this Zion mentality, of caring for each other, not having contention, I think that invites the spirit to teach everyone. That's kind of what the School of Prophets, kind of what the temple is. That's what our meetings and teachings and things should be like, right? I don't know. So much of the revelation I'm seeing in these scriptures has to do with asking the right question. And you cannot get to that point. Maybe you have to ask the wrong questions to get to the right question. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think we offend the Lord when we're ungrateful and we trod in sacred things underfoot. And when we have received an answer, but we don't act upon it, I think that's offensive. But on the other hand, I also think the Lord welcomes our curiosity. He wants us to grow and understand that he could tell us everything, but that doesn't benefit us the way that us meeting together, talking about things, learning for ourselves does benefit us, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's also interesting about those about those two verses, 13 and 14. It comes right after verse 12 where he's saying, he's talking about the temple. Those are the things that should be happening in the temple. It should be a place for thanksgiving for all saints, um, a place for instruction for all those who are called to the work of the ministry and all their several callings and offices. And then it's not just to sit there and, and listen and then go home and be like, oh, I went to the temple and that was nice. That, that's definitely an aspect of it. There are times when I've gone to the temple where I'm like, I don't know that I necessarily learned a whole lot, but I just needed the peace. I just needed out of the grind of everyday life and be in a place where I could feel the spirit very, very clearly. And I just needed a, kind of a cleansing experience. 
But there are also times when I go in there and I'm like, I need, I, I want to learn something or I have a question or I have doubts in my mind that I need to resolve and I need revelation. And I think that's where it's saying that they may be perfected in the understanding of their ministry in theory and principle and doctrine and all things pertaining to the kingdom of God on earth. Like, where do you fit? How does what we're doing make sense? Well, when you go to the temple, you can come out of that learning a little bit more about what your role is in the world and what your purpose is here on earth and where we're headed with all of this. And I think, you know, if you look at that, the temple is not just a nice building. It's not just uh, a place where we can say, hey, this is our exclusive club. You know, it's when it says uh, the very next verse, I think it says, and as much as in 15, and inasmuch as my people built a house unto me in the name of the Lord and do not suffer any unclean thing to come into it, that it be not defiled, my glory shall rest upon it. Yea, my presence shall be there, for I will come to it, and all the pure in heart that shall come into it shall see God. Pure in heart, and it says no unclean thing. Obviously, nobody going into the temple is perfectly clean, right? So to say no unclean thing can enter, we all have sins, we all have imperfections, and so it's it may come across like, oh, I get to go to the temple, therefore I must be perfect. You know, no. What he's saying is the pure in heart. What are your intentions? What is what are your desires? What are your goals? What are you striving towards? Do you have that pure intent to do the right thing? Are you trying your best to be improved daily? Zion is the pure in heart. It doesn't say Zion are the perfect people. Zion are the flawless people. It's saying they're the pure in heart. They're the people who are actually trying their best. So that's the way I see the temple. If you are and you're trying your best to at the I got my temple recommend interview yesterday. And at the end, the state president asked me, do you consider yourself worthy? After asking all these questions at the end, do you consider yourself worthy? And that's always part of the thing, because you could look at that and say, I answered all the questions correctly, but I don't feel like I should. Or you can say, yes, I do. I do consider myself worthy. I'm doing my best to follow all this stuff. I'm doing my best to be on the path. I may slip up, I may make mistakes, but I'm trying my best. I'm I'm trying to be pure in heart. And I think that that's what that really means. You know, when you're trying to go to the temple, do your best to to strive to be a, uh, to be clean and to be on that on that path. And then, you know, the promise is that his glory will rest upon it and the pure in heart that shall come into it shall see God. Does that literally mean that you'll see God? Maybe not. But what it means to me is you'll receive revelation. You'll get guidance from the Lord. See, I I think for me, I struggle so much with the word perfection <laughs> because I think we don't know what that means. And as imperfect beings, or I like it, I like to look at it more as being complete, being made whole more because that makes a lot more sense to me. And we're on the path of being complete. We're on that path in Sometimes we get so caught up with the fact that, oh, I'm not perfect. I didn't I make mistakes. And, you know, and and I think what we're it's kind of hard. It's almost like how do you teach someone something that they cannot understand? Because currently they're incapable of understanding it. And I think that's the challenge the Lord has with us. He's trying to show us 
not to get into Latin, but a whole new world. <laughs> <laughs> that was corny. Um, a totally different way, you know, of living, of looking at things. And for us, our default setting is the natural man. You know, I push you, you push me back. And one eye for an eye, you know, that kind of thing where you, you offend me. I, I, I watch out for myself, not for you. You know, just being selfish, you know. How does that change? It changes little by little over a long period of time. And that's what the sanctification process is, is a little by little over a long period of time. And we can change our, our, have a mighty change of heart and change our hearts, change our nature and become something different. And it's kind of like the commitment to follow the Savior. It's a commitment that the own, the, the benefit that we get from it is great when we fully commit to the path. But you cannot fully commit to the path when you're always saying, well, tell me all everything up front and I'll decide. Because you have to be on the path for things to make sense, you know. And I know I'm butchering this, but it's the only way I can try to explain what I'm trying to say is you. it's something that cannot be learned unless you're committed. And if you're not, then you will be blown away like shaft in the whirlwind, like the scripture says, right? You, you'll be tossed to and fro by the doctrines of man. You'll you'll become unanchored. And for me, the first time I went to the temple, I was like, huh, that's interesting. And in parts, I was like, that's it. That's okay. That was a little bit confusing. And But then the more I think about it, I realize these truths that are given to us are things that are an anchor to our experience. They're always, I always feel like the temple and the temple lessons and, and what we listen and, and, and do in the temple, it's always like a reset. Come back to step one and let's build the main foundation again. And then as I live my life and I think about the things I learned in the scriptures, the actions I take in my life, and then I think about the temple principles, the key foundations of our existence, then I think, hmm, this is starting to make sense. You know, one of the things that the, I was one time in Chicago in at the Chicago Temple, and there was the the president of the temple at the time. He's kind of set with us because we we're missionaries, and he was kind of we were in the hall, and he's like, hey, how are you guys doing? And you know, um, and and he said, he just out of nowhere, he just said, you know, one thing you should try to do is model your home after the temple. And in the the and then he said the scriptures point to the temple and the temple points to the scriptures and you should model your home after the temple and I thought that was interesting and that's always stuck with me and there's some practical things meaning when you we go into the temple it's clean everything's in order uh, maybe our home would benefit from that it's not as easy you know with kids and things and pets you know and then. The things that we'd look and we think about at the temple, we can continue that in our homes, you know. We're told that the home is can be just as sacred as the temple. And so, I don't know, I find this very interesting because for the saints at this time, they haven't had a temple. They're getting a temple. They're, and now, to them, 
when I think about the home is like a temple, these things they're hearing is also the way they need to act in Zion, you know, have this community. I don't think that they fully grasped what the temple would mean. I don't think they fully understood what it what it would mean to them as a people, what it would mean to them as uh, individuals trying to follow Jesus Christ. And I think you see they they're trying to fulfill a commandment and they are are being told, hey, you need to kind of hasten this and you need to do it with the tithing. And you, you know, eventually they donate uh, dishes and whatever glassware to help build the mortar and, and cement for the walls of the temple. And I think once they started, once they started participating inside the temple and in some of the ordinances that were done, they started to realize what this was going to mean for them as a people. And as they move, uh, they're forced to move to Nauvoo, you see that this temple is made even bigger, even stronger, even more permanent than the last one. As they're forced to move to Salt Lake, obviously St. George was built first before Salt Lake was finished. But the the importance and dedication to building the temple became, you know, first and foremost in their minds. We have to build a temple that will last. We have to build a temple that will reflect our feelings about it. It took them 40 years to build the Salt Lake Temple, and that wasn't just because it was tedious and slow. It was because they did everything as as perfectly right about it as possible. Let's not put a foundation in that's going to crack. Let's not put in, you know, just the the normal mundane things we put in our own homes. Let's let's magnify this because I think that they're starting to really realize what the temple is going to mean for us as a people going forward and for the world. It's yeah, and it's it's literally a standard of, and it's one of the biggest symbols of our religion, and it's literally a place where the presence of the Lord can dwell. And so you look at it now where we have hundreds of temples around the earth and then we have millions of saints that are also making their homes as a temple you know for me i i think the greatest what we're told even in the book of mormon that that the word had greater power than the sword that uh, that the word had a greater impact of changing the hearts of people than the sword which translate to our days if you can teach someone why they should do something or why something is important, you don't have to force them to do it, you know. Right. And I think that fits the pattern that the Lord, how He governs us in this earth and all His creations. He is patient. He is loving. He teaches. And for us, we're saying in one way, He's asking us create a place that's sacred, that is so sacred and special, that is the ideal. And as you create that, that should remind you of this Zion, this community, these people that you should be. And as you do that, guess what? You're going to get more temples. You're going to get more members. It's like a, it's like the good that multiplies itself. Aside from the other benefits of the covenants that we make there and then the covenants that we can help our ancestors make. And then the covenants that we can help not just our ancestors, but individuals that are also being taught, that are also progressing on the other side of the veil. And these things are hard to understand from like externally looking in, but it's much, much more powerful 
when you're committed to the path and then you can see it from from within you know from within outward there's there's an interesting thing that's happening as well i mean when whenever there's a temple announced a new one announced it's almost like okay we've finally arrived you know there might be places that have had the gospel that have had churches branches stakes whatever for a long time but they've had to go somewhere else in order to go to the temple and when they announce that you know there's one being built in Cape Verde you know it's like holy cow we've arrived this is us you know we finally get our own our own piece of this and I think there's a few years ago um, Central America was announcing more and more temples and in Nicaragua they they didn't have one and the Saints were kind of like hey, you're building a second one in, in Guatemala and we still don't have one in Nicaragua. What's going on? Like we, we'd like our own temple. And the, I don't remember who it was necessarily, but they had like a multi-stake uh, meeting. And one of the authorities said, the reason why there's no temple in Nicaragua is because we're not faithful enough in paying our tithing. And it was kind of like saying, those blessings are, you know, they can build upon each other. You can receive blessings from the temple, which then cause you to act in a more enlightened and better way, which then brings more blessings. But you got to do the basics first. You know, we have to be able to pay our tithing so that we can get that blessing in the first place. And then you see how the places that have done that and have gotten their their temple, they've they've grown a lot. And it becomes a symbol, not only the Salt Lake Temple, but I remember, you know, in Guatemala, people always saying stuff like, oh, you guys have that really pretty building over in in zone 15 you know we're like oh yeah yeah that's our temple and we're like what what goes on in there and it becomes a missionary tool it becomes a symbol of what who we are and what we're about and i think that, that that's very true everywhere we go everywhere there's a temple it becomes a symbol of who we are and what we're trying to accomplish and when we tell people you know it's where we go to learn it's where we go and learn about not only who we were and what we're doing here but what our potential is it's a good opportunity to to kind of understand even for ourselves why we're doing all of this and why it's so important that we continue to build temples all over. It's pretty cool though to see how how they're they're building smaller ones, but they're building them more frequently. And how they're just really building a lot in a lot of places you never thought. Twenty years ago you never would have thought they would announce one in China somewhere. But they would announce one in Russia somewhere or in Dubai. These places that seemed like they were like, oh someday we'll get there. Well, they're still kind of that way, but they've announced it. You know, it's like we're, we have intention now. It's real intent, not just hopefulness. <laughs> and I just think, wow, how what's it going to be like in another 30 years? Where are temples going to be? Or where are we going to be talking about building temples that never would have been considered before? I think that's really cool. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.